The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and Mitch Zacks. In our program today, we'll help you get started or continue to build your nest egg with some of the best practices for retirement planning. It's time to start right now. Here are your hosts, Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery. Welcome and Happy New Year. Listeners of VoiceAmerica.com's business channel, you're listening to The Steady Investor, which is sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. I'm your co-host, Mark Vickery, and I'll be joined in a moment by the other co-host of The Steady Investor, Mitch Zacks, who is the portfolio manager and founder principal at Zacks Investment Management. Um, starting the new year, this is the first um, The Steady Investor uh, podcast that we've done for the past couple weeks or past three weeks, let's say. So uh, uh, I just wanted to kind of get started with understanding where we are looking forward. And due to the new holiday week, the monthly ADP report uh, that usually comes out on Wednesday was re- released ahead of, the, of today's bell instead. And a total of 153,000 new private sector jobs were created in the month of December. Now, that's far lower than the 168K analysts had expected. Uh, November's big jobs producing month had been revised down slightly to 215K. This figure was a positive surprise from October's lackluster 124K. But overall, since mid-2016, mid, uh, we're seeing job growth slowly, steadily, slowing steadily from the routine 200K plus reads most months since the jobs recovery plateaued in the aftermath of the Great Recession. Uh, now, the vast discrepancy between goods and services continues in this report. While services provided 169,000 new jobs last month, goods shed 16,000, including 9K in manufacturing and 5K uh, in mining, which was a surprise. Uh, the biggest industry hires uh, in the month of December were trade, transportation of 82K, education, health, 29K, and leisure, hospitality, 18K. Looking ahead to tomorrow's Bureau of Labor Statistics, or BLS, non-farm payroll report, ADP estimate, estimates a gain of 183,000 uh, uh, new jobs. Um, that's non-farm payroll, including government jobs. That's up from last month's 178K total. Also, average hourly wages are expected to tick up 0.3% from dropping a basis point in November. Uh, smaller companies, or under 50 employees, are again showing the smallest gains in new private sector jobs, and that they uh, re- registered at 18,000 uh, last month. Medium-sized companies reached 71,000, and large firms up uh, 63,000 jobs in the last month. Initial jobless claims were also reported ahead of today's market open, and they shed 200, or, I'm sorry, 28,000 claims from last month's uh, revised total to 235k. That was a big surprise. We expected much higher than that, 260 or so. Uh, continuing claims, however, have risen again to 2.11, 2.11 million. So it's still historically low, but notably above the point we cracked below 2 million continuing claims for a week. Of, that was about a month or so ago. Um, market futures are all marginally lower at this hour, but they were that way before the ADP report was released. Uh, we will see tomorrow's BLS report uh, having greater potential uh, to move markets in either direction. 
Um, so we're going to get to the Mitch on the Market section in just a few minutes. Um, but first, I wanted to say, if you, uh, for more information about how to best invest your assets for retirement, uh, just call Zach's Investment Management right here in Chicago. That number is 800-918-3114. And there you can discuss at length your risk levels and investment strategies that are best suited for you and your family. Um, for more information, you can also email us at info at zimwealth.com. That's Z-I-M, like management, wealth.com. Or visit our website, zimwealth.com. Um, also, if you call into that same number, 1-800-918-3114, you can get our free stock market outlook, which is written by chief strategist um, uh, from, uh, was based in LA, and he's been on the, the Steady Investor podcast several times before, John Blank. Um, once the BLS report comes out, and matter of fact, he tends to um, come out with that report right away. So uh, I think in the next day, or perhaps maybe Monday, we'll have the brand new uh, stock market outlook very comprehensive, very uh, clear, written, and understandable report that every serious investor should really be taking a look at. So just call that number, 800-918-3114, and uh, we'll set you up with a free copy of that. Okay, Bloomberg News. Um, and this goes back to what we were just talking about before. Uh, well, let's talk about Macy's, though, because they cut earnings outlook and workforce. And this uh, goes for a lot of the retailers uh, post the holiday season. Uh, Macy's, the largest department store company in the U.S., plunged in late trading after cutting its earnings outlook and vowing to eliminate uh, 6,200 jobs, or about 4% of its workforce. Follow following a sluggish holiday season, the company now expects profit of $2.95 to $3.10 a share this year, excluding some items. It previously predicted a range as high as $3.40. The beleaguered retailer is taking more drastic steps to slim down as it copes with sluggish traffic and weak sales in key categories such as handbags. It previously announced uh, plans to shut 100 underperforming stores, and the chain has been evaluating ways to squeeze more money out of its real estate. We had anticipated uh, sales would be stronger, Chief Executive Officer Terry Lundgren said in a statement. Ongoing weakness in handbags and watches negatively impacted our results. Macy's shares fell as much as 9.2% to 32.55 in late trading. Uh, that must have been yesterday. Uh, that follows a 2.4% gain for the stock last year. Comp store sales declined 2.1% from a year earlier in November and December, the low end of its projections. The Cincinnati-based company said on Wednesday, it maintained its prediction that sales will decrease 2.5% to 3% for the full year, which lasts until the end of this month. And the move to cut costs should generate annual savings of $550 million beginning in 2017, Macy said. That's higher than a previous goal of $500 or $500 million announced in 2015. The idea is to pump the savings into his e-commerce business, Chinese operations, and other units, such as its Blue Mercury makeup division. We have been focused and disciplined about making strategic decisions to position us to gain market share and return to growth over time, Lundgren said, but the trends remain challenging. Uh, new year sales, or next year sales, are expected to be similar to what Macy's experienced in November and December, Lundgren said. We continue to experience declining traffic in our stores where the majority of our business is still transacted, he said. Sears Holding Corp. agreed to sell its Craftsman, Craftsman tool brand to Stanley Black & Decker for about $900 million, marketing CEO Edward Lampert's third move in the last two weeks to prop up the beleaguered retailer with fresh sources of funding. Under terms of the deal, Stanley will pay $525 million at closing and $250 million after three years, the company said in a statement Thursday. The buyer will also make annual payments on new Craftsman sales for 15 years. With Sears' department store uh, business continuing to bleed cash, Lampert has turned to selling spinning off assets to keep the company operating. 
the hedge fund manager, who is also the retailer's chairman and largest investor, agreed earlier this week to lend the company $500 million and said last month that affiliates to his firm would offer it a $200 million line of credit. Sears has also been reviewing its Die Hard batteries and Kenmore appliance brand for potential sales. Looking ahead, we continue to take actions to adjust our capital structure, meet our financial obligations, and manage our business to, be to better position Sears Holdings to create long-term value, Lambert said in Thursday's statement. Investors cheered the move, sending sh Sears shares up 8.6% to $11.25 in early trading in New York. The Hoffman Estates-based company has slumped 55% last year as the company continued to post losses. New Britain, Connecticut-based Stanley advanced 2.5% to $119.44. Craftsman had been part of Sears since 1927, when the retailer acquired the brand for $500? Mm -hmm, that's wow. true. Wow. The tools debuted in the iconic Sears catalog two years later. By the 1940s, the brand benefited from a surge in power tool sales. In 1981, President Jimmy Carter was given a Craftsman woodworking set as his farewell gift when he left the White House. Craftsman was eventually offered through other retailers, including Costco uh, and Ace Hardware, but Sears' decline has taken a toll on the brand. Only about 10% of Craftsman branded products wow. are currently sold outside the, of Sears, yes. and the agreement yes. allows Stanley to increase Craftsman sales in these untapped channels. Sears will continue to carry Craftsman products at its stores. Okay. The license will be royalty-free for 15 yeah, can, years and then generate 3% afterwards. Frank and to accommodate the future growth of Craftsman, we intend to expand Thanks. our manufacturing footprint in the U.S., okay. Stanley CEO James M. Laurie said in a statement. This will add jobs in the U.S., where we have increased our manufacturing headcount by 40% in the past three years. The pledge to support U.S. manufacturing comes at a time when President-elect Donald Trump has criticized companies for shifting jobs overseas. Ford Motor Company canceled a $1.6 billion Mexican expansion earlier this week, saying it would add positions in Michigan instead. The Craftsman deal comes about three months after Stanley agreed to buy Newell Brands' tool business for $1.95 billion. For Sears, the sale is the latest in a long string of moves designed to generate cash for the ailing retail business. The company raised $2.5 billion in 2015 by forming a real estate investment trust that bought more than 250 of its properties, and more property sales may be coming. This week's $500 million loan was secured by the company's real estate in anticipation that a future sale of some properties could help pay back the debt. Lampert also previously spun off the Sears hometown and outlet business and Land's End clothing line. Still, challenges remain. The company needs to raise a total of roughly $1.5 billion to make it through 2017 comfortably, Christina Boney, who's an analyst at Moody's Investor Service, had estimated. Online real... Re Online retailer Amazon.com and teen apparel store chain Forever 21 are among the companies weighing offers to acquire bankrupt American Apparel LLC, people familiar with the talk said on Wednesday. The bankruptcy auction of Los Angeles-based American Apparel, which made its branding theme Made in the USA, will determine the future of a major clothing manufacturer plant in California, one of the most expensive U.S. states in terms of labor costs. Keeping jobs in the United States has been a hot-button political issue since the presidential election. Ford Motor Company on Tuesday reversed plans for a $1.6 billion factory, as mentioned before, in Mexico, and said it would add 700 jobs in Michigan after receiving criticism from President-elect Trump. Amazon and Forever 21, as well as California-based apparel maker Next Level Apparel and brand licensor Authentic Brands Group, are in talks with American Apparel and its financial advisors about submitting offers ahead of a deadline on Friday, the people said. Any successful offer would have to top a $66 million stocking horse bid by Canadian apparel maker yes. Gildan Activewear, where, which American Apparel agreed okay, to thanks. when it filed for bankruptcy in November. 
Gildan's offer included an option to keep American Apparel's manufacturing plants in Southern California, which employs about 3,500 workers, making American Apparel one of the biggest garment makers in the United States. You know, uh, I was going to ask you a little bit about this, sure. uh, Mark. This is kind of an interesting move, I think, for, for uh, Amazon to make a pitch for a manufacturing facility in the United States. is also right. one of the largest producer of garments in the U.S., and, um, you know, if you really look at it, the, the initial bid by the, the competitor right now is about $56 million. So I wonder if this is uh, something to come in the future where we're, Amazon is not only expanding in, um, uh, in distribution, but also expanding into manufacturing. Oh, right? thanks. Thanks, Craig. We're, listen, we're talking to Craig Gaten, by the way. This, he's, the, um, he's the producer of the Study Investor Program. Um, I found it interesting when Amazon actually went to an actual uh, brick-and-mortar retail store, yes. which was last year, and to now buy an actual retailer, that's an interesting thing. I'm sure he's getting it at uh, very bargain basement prices. Retail didn't have a very good holiday season, as we know. Um, but uh, I, And also, if you're looking at Jeff Bezos' ultimate plan, it's really tough to see what he's seeing, because he tends to have multi-year structures. Um, people think he's nuts for a while, and then he goes ahead and, and puts everything together, p puts the pieces of the puzzle together, and then creates this whole new aspect of, of revenue generation that people didn't even think were, was possible. Correct. So I, do you think that's probably what it is? I think it is. And I'm, I'm wondering down the future if he's going to have to have some brick and mortar stores simply because the increase of thus of packages dropped off at doors has dramatically increased over the years. And in fact, last year, over 11 million packages were stolen off mm. the doorsteps. Oh, wow. So I'm wondering if that keeps continuing to rise as it is in the high single digits increases if eventually they may offer some type of distribution center where you can purchase things and at the same time a benefit is you can pick up packages for other Amazon products out of there. I'm just so more of like a UPS location. Kind of a UPS well. or Kinkos with FedEx and so forth like that. Eventually, you know, doing it. And then also when you look at uh, Amazon, they now have the experimenting with their own planes now to do the deliveries from uh, one major market to another. They're not relying on FedEx and UPS planes as much as they did in the past before. So it looks like they're trying to do the full circle uh, distribution, full circle delivery, transportation, full circle manufacturing. Now, well, they, if they can do it well, completely around for the whole thing, it'll be very interesting to see because uh, that's something very tough to do. Usually you're good in one area, but not good in another. So it'll be interesting to see how well this works. And you have partners that make your whole Correct. functionality uh, operable. But um, as we said before, Bezos doesn't really look at things that way or doesn't tend to. Um, even when he went after um, the online streaming uh, business of Netflix, people said, well, why would he be doing that? If he's uh, offering different articles, uh, anything basically you can, you can sell under the sun, uh, offered through Amazon, why would he also need streaming? But we see that it's worked very, very well for Amazon. Right. Prime, uh, so he's working off a, a growth mode while the Sears is the opposite, which is in a spiral death mode because now they only have Die Hard and Kenmore brands left. And, uh, you know, if you go back besides the recent sales of Craftsman's Tool, but, you know, they used to own Allstate, Dean Winter, Discover Card, Cowell Banker, Western Stores years and years ago. There's not much left for them to sell off anymore. Right. No, you're right. Right. Craig Gaetan, the producer of The Steady Investor, thanks for your input here. Uh, we're joined right now by the other co-host of The Steady Investor, Mitch Zacks, who is the portfolio manager and founding principal at Zacks Investment Management. Good morning, Mitch. Happy New Year. Good morning, Mark. Happy New Year to you well. I'm sorry about missing the first couple of minutes oh, that's here. That's okay. I'm sure you were frozen solid yes. on a brick of ice outside somewhere. It's very cold in Chicago yeah, these very, days. Very, very cold. Yes. Absolutely. 
Okay. Yeah, we're going to just have a short time to kind of go okay. over the, some headline things, and we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back and talk more no in problem. depth about certain things. Um, okay, so today we know that we had two different um, jobs-related reports. The ADP, which usually comes out the right. Wednesday uh, before the BLS report because of the holiday shortened week we saw it today, um, lower than expected. But uh, then again, initial claims for jobless, uh, for jobless claims mm-hmm. was actually also lower. So we're seeing kind of a mixed view on the near near term uh, labor market. It's right? a, the the issue is the issue that's facing the all developed markets, which is the combination of globalization and automation is putting downward pressure on uh, job creation. Right. Additionally, the lack of sort of technological development is allowing these large tech companies to become pretty much ascendant. So that what used to happen uh, is that a large technology company, Hewitt Packard, Honeywell, IBM, would be displaced by an upstart company due to technological change. Mm -hmm. A lot of that technological change was being driven uh, through conflict. I mean, it's it's horrible to say that, but that's really what it was. You're you're in a, a cold war with Russia, the government is spending massive amounts of money trying to develop things. DARPA develops the internet. The internet then causes the displacement of CD-ROMs. Uh, so technology is constantly being developed. It's being developed in response to conflict through government activity. Right. And then since 1991, the conflict has eliminated. There's not a huge conflict occurring. So without this conflict occurring, the R&D focus of the country, of Mm. the countries, because most of the, if you look what really happens in terms of technological development, it's, you know, yes, Bell Labs developed the transistor and things of that sort, but what really is occurring is the government has to spend money on pure R&D, whether through, you know, uh, research in defense industries, medical research and things of that sort. And outside of the medical field, there's still medical research dollars being deployed, but defense research dollars have been declining over time because there's no the, the conflict has been declining. Right. And so there's so what happens is if you look back 10, 20 years, that's when the new technologies are developed that are then used. So what's happening is these four or five large tech firms are dominating the marketplace. Mm-hmm. New firms are not able to uh, compete with them. And they look at slight changes in technology that they want to integrate. Movement from the desktop uh, to the mobile device, the incorporation of drones. These are small little changes that are occurring gradually over time. If you look back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there were fundamental changes in how the computer was was created, how large it was be, how what the, the what uh, how you could store the information, the internet itself. itself. All these major changes were occurring, and all these changes were occurring because of. I mean, it's it's horrible to say this because of this conflict the U.S. had sure. with with Russia, mm-hmm. and so it has this conflict with Russia, and there's tremendous pressure to innovate. Right, Sputnik, uh, the the Cold War, uh, new technologies things of that sort, and then it's created by the government, and then eventually the government doesn't profit from it, but eventually uh, private enterprise takes over and they start doing it. Right. Well, that's a very interesting uh, topic. Oh, oh, we've got to go break. So we'll we, go. We'll and we'll take a short break and come we'll back. We'll get back into the thing, but that, that's basically yeah. what is going on, is that there's a lack of technological innovation, there's globalization, and there's automation, and those three things are putting downward pressure on firm creations and downward pressure on uh, labor. Got it. Okay, you're listening to The Steady Investor. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thank you. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 1-800-918-3114 or to learn more, go to info at zax.com. Again, that number is 1-800-918-3114 or go to info at zax.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. You are listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to See Gaitan at Zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Steady Investor. Uh, this is sponsored by Zax Investment Management. I'm your co-host, Mark Vickery, joined by Mitch Zaks, the Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zaks Investment Management. Uh, this is the New Year's edition of The Steady Investor. Uh, Mitch, we were just talking about conflict and, and, and uh, right. how innovations in technology yeah. occur. We could really go down we could a go major down the, I mean, rabbit hole. GPS, the internet, yeah. all these technologies that are starting to change people's lives were the result of the Cold War and defense spending and defense research and development budgets mm -hmm. right. that then became uh, commercialized. And so, I, I, you know, let's talk about what we got going on for 2017. Okay, but that's, right. that's part of what's driving the low, uh, the low employment numbers. It's, it's really three things. It, it's the effect of globalization. Right. Labor force is now competing globally. It is uh, essentially automation. As automation becomes more prevalent, uh, jobs become scarcer. We talked about the self-driving cars, and as you have more self-driving cars, you have fewer people that own taxi companies and you have fewer taxi drivers. Correct. And where you used to have tens of thousands of people driving taxis, in 15 years, you're going to have one group of 200 software programmers in Silicon Valley creating the software that then can uh, do everything. It's like right. regular technology, you, need, you, you would need people. You would have a a sort of assembly line being developed. The assembly line would make the person more productive in producing cars. Right. But information technology is very different. If the information technology works, it can be scaled up without having additional people. You, you build it once. You build it, just, it once. So yeah. they, if they build the self-driving algorithm, whoever builds it the most impressively or the most correctly, it will then be licensed to all the taxi cabs in, in the country. Right. So you have a small group of people who are highly, highly skilled as an organization to develop self-driving algorithms, okay. displacing the labor of all these people. Look what happened with Macy's. Macy's is closing, uh, I think yeah. they're laying off 10,000 people. Right. It's, it's Amazon. 
It's like no right. one under the age of uh, 50 is shopping in department stores anymore. Right. You, you, they go into the department store. They look at what they have. They go online to Amazon. They scan it with their I, iPhone. They find the absolute cheapest way to do it. And right. Apple and Amazon has worked out distribution so that you get it within two days of, of ordering it. Right. You so, may get foot traffic in these retail stores, but you're not necessarily getting uh, you're not getting purchases. That's right. if, if you were in a rural area and you're in, living in the middle of you know central Illinois – and uh, you live, you, you know, twenty an hour away from the nearest department store. Mm -hmm. You get online and you purchase it. Even if you're in an urban area, you get online and you purchase it. So what's happening is Macy's, I don't see in the long term, I'm not talking about Macy's stock and their valuation right. and whether the earnings estimates are going up. As a representative of, as a representative of the retail. company, the company over long periods of time, we're talking about Sears. I don't see how these companies, these retailers are going to compete. People are going to go to the lowest price good possible that lowest price good is going to be coming from an online source where you're you don't have a, a giant geographic footprint in the middle of downtown chicago you don't have property tax and you don't you don't have all these people floating around departments talking about it right. so what's going to be left to be sold are things that require some sort of assistance to sell maybe jewelry or something like that you need to see uh, the right. purchase but any commoditized good is is going to go online in terms of its ability to be sold so what is going on? You have technological change, and uh, that's putting downward pressure on uh, retail jobs, essentially. Okay, so let me put this to you then. Um, we're looking at a, a change in attitude, I think, toward uh, the U.S. labor market, uh, toward bringing back jobs to the United States with the, yeah. with, with President-elect Trump coming in. Um, do you, so with what you've just said, how viable do you think that strategy is, or, or is that more of like a campaign promise? Uh, and the good feeling will, will eventually go off once those jobs don't come back. These are these strong sort of long-term trends that are hitting the economy. Okay. And I don't think you're going to be able to sort of stop the trend from occurring. So, But what's going to happen is people are going to become wealthier as a result of these trends taking place. Everyone can now buy goods at almost the cheapest way that it can get. To the, to the retail client. Sure. So think of all the savings people have from purchasing goods at Amazon. Are people worse off that there are no independent bookstores? There are no even Barnes and Nobles or, or Borders right. left. Right. Everyone buys whatever book they want from Amazon. So what happens? Everyone gets the cheapest book possible. They have the greatest amount of selection. They can now look online and see the details of the book. Is, is are people made better off Everyone is made better off unless you owned a bookstore or you worked in a bookstore, right. in which case you're made worse off. So, again, it, 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 it's very hard to reverse that trend. Right. So just instead of thinking about the economy as whole, just think of a subset of the economy book selling. Okay. okay? So what's happening in books? Okay, it's all being concentrated on these online things. People are still buying books, et cetera. Uh, but it's very hard to reverse that trend because the good is being provided cheaper by the online distribution than it can be through in-person distribution. And you're right? subtracting labor costs all through it. So that's another way that uh, there's more money to, have, to be made. And, and then as you have robots, think about what's going to happen to the fast food industry. Right. Right. You're going to have, uh, you know, you already have self-checkout lines at uh, Walgreens where you can walk in and check it out yourself. Now assume that that gets, uh, fast forward 10, 15 years, now what do you have? You have automated stores. You have stores that are self-sufficient. You push the hamburger button. You the push conference. the hamburger button or they, they talk to you and say, would you like a hamburger today, sir? Right, you say, yes, right. I would. Okay, what would you like on your ham? And it's delivered to you. And right. then you have one person in the back of the store 
who has more technical sophistication than everyone in the store right now, maybe have one person for 20 stores. Right. And they go from store to store to store where there's a broken thing and do it. The same thing happened with Redbox and uh, versus, uh, versus Blockbuster. There was a right. people might That's not remember true. this. There was a retail change called Blockbuster that had DVD and video rentals. Right. And they replaced them uh, one way. They you know they first started downloading the data online, uh, but they also created these kiosks called uh, Redbox, which mm-hmm. centrally communicated where the movies were available and things like that. They had one person I think servicing you know. 50 or 60 of these red box locations. Right. So it was one person of labor for 50 distribution points, each one doing a, you know, a, a tenth of, of something like that of what a, a store did right. versus 10 people in a blockbuster store right. or 15 people in a blockbuster. So that trend is going to continue and it cannot be uh, prevented uh, despite uh, what's going on. So, so, you know, are we better off that we don't have blockbuster stores and we can download uh, media directly to the phone. You certainly can get it cheaper, and you certainly have more access. Right. And you have certain have higher quality. You watch a movie on you your watch phone. Watch a movie, but what happens to all those people who lost their jobs when when Blockbuster uh, closed down? Right. They have to go find new things to do, and the issue is there aren't enough positions to be red box managers, and the red box manager needs a a more highly developed skill set than the person just working in the Blockbuster store. So that trend is going to continue. What does this mean for an investor? Right. I don't think it's bad for an investor. If you own, uh, you know, you, if you own one of the, uh, if you own the company that is benefiting from this change. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be these tremendous movements. And we saw an article in the journal about this. The number of small cap companies, the number of publicly traded companies is at a low relative to where it's been over a 20 year period. The average market cap is is now up around $4 billion higher. Mm -hmm. The number of new IPOs is decreasing uh, lowest that it's ever been. The number of new companies being started is lower than it's ever been. So you have consolidation. What prevents the consolidation from happening is new technological change. Okay. And if we don't have the new technological change, this trend of consolidation, this trend of monopoly profits being driven uh, by these larger tech companies is going to continue. Okay. If you own these companies, you're going to do very well because there's nothing disrupting it. Okay, let me ask you a question then. Uh, let's take Amazon for a good example okay. of, of a company that's really branched out into all different sorts of uh, different kinds of business that no one really dreamed that they would be involved in. There's the new technological thing that comes through, whenever that is. It's, it's develop, being developed now and we, don't, we see it in the marketplace another 10, 15, 20 years. Right. Um, what keeps Amazon from just gobbling it up? What usually happens is the technological change. It, it, it's what stopped uh, Hewitt Packard from being able to adapt to you know changing computer technology. Yeah. Just, what stopped Microsoft? It, it, the technology technological change. Why isn't Microsoft the search engine of choice? Why isn't Microsoft the social network of choice? Why isn't Microsoft uh, delivering retail goods? Because new companies had to adjust to those changes that occurred. But the issue is, as that change, that the, 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 the changes are not, are the level of the magnitude of the technological changes are decreasing over time. So if we look at life in 2000 versus life in 2016. Or 17. Or 17. 
not a huge amount of change. You have cell phones, you can access stuff here, but you kind of had, I think you had cell phones in 2000, you probably didn't have it, it was hard to use, you had PDAs, you had things of that sort. You had the but internet. You had the you internet, really you could Google get it, you didn't way. have Google, you didn't have it, it wasn't as quick, it wasn't as uh, accessible, but it's pretty much the same. If you look at now from 2000 to 1980, huge change. Yeah. So you, the, the pace of technological change is decreasing. This is stopping new company uh, creation from occurring, and it's allowing these uh, sort of entrenched companies to become larger and larger, which is actually helping people who are investing in equities because they own a percentage of the profits that these things are generating. The, the more you have perfect competition, the more that you have no barriers to entry, the less likely corporations are going to be able to generate large profits, right. the less likely uh, shareholders are going to benefit. We're entering a, a, a situation that because of the lack of increasing technological change and because of the increase in automation, you're getting these few winners that are just dominating the marketplace. Right. And it's looking very hard for anyone uh, to displace them. And so if you're an owner of these companies, you, you, you're, you're in pretty good shape. Uh, and if you're an owner of Macy's, you know, you, or if you're an owner of a retailer that's under pressure, you're, you're not going to be in good shape. But in aggregate, you're going to have greater percentage of GDP go to corporate profits. Right. Because there's more monopolies that are naturally uh, existing. And as time goes on and there's less technological change, the barriers become higher, the moats become higher, and the remaining companies become stronger effectively over time. Right. And it seems like what you're talking about has vast implications. So take real estate, for example. Right. What's going to be filling these shops that no longer can compete with Amazon or, or anyone else? You have all sorts of different changes that are occurring. And uh, the, the net result, though, is it, unless you have some sort of shock, okay, some sort of externality to the economy, either in a technological change, a global political event, or something like that, I would project that what we've seen occurring is going to continue. You're going to have a high percentage of GDP going to corporate earnings, which is very good for stocks. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a weak labor market. You have some degree of inflation occurring, but not a massive amount. Uh, and you have a lack of real technological change uh, really materializing in the economy. So productivity right. is not increasing that dramatically. Add and into the prominent uh, tax cuts uh, coming down the pike. That could Congress. be ex that's extremely positive for equity investors, Correct. especially small cap equity investors. If you're a small cap investor, uh, these small cap companies don't have the ability to. How could I uh, nicely say shield uh, income overseas by doing all sorts of stuff that GE does, and as a result, uh, a lower corporate tax rate is going to increase corporate earnings. And right. if the P multiple just stays the same, you're going to see the price uh, respond. You have reductions in regulation, which is generally positive for the economy. And you have sort of a psychological change where companies are starting to adjust for reflation or potential inflation from materializing. Right. Um, now, by 2018, though, that would be baked in the cake already. It, it's already getting baked in the cake. Okay. So, so what I really, the, you know, after going on this thing about, you know, technological change, what I really want to get across to investors is that markets go up and they go down. We're at sort of this level. I don't feel sort of uh, euphoria happening, but I feel it's moving close to that. And I want people to be aware that equity investing uh, markets will go up, they go down. 
The way you make money in equity investing is you invest and you ignore the fluctuations to the upside and you ignore the fluctuations to the downside. And that's what we've got to kind of do. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some selling. Uh, we were about 30 basis points off uh, the high for the S&P 500. Right. Uh, you should be ignoring the Dow. The Dow's calculation is, is a little bit messed up. I, we had some articles about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the S&P 500, you just have to, uh, you know, keep your time horizon on the long end of the spectrum. You cannot be worried about what's going to happen next week, next month, in 2017. Look out five years. From 2017 right. to 2022, what do you expect to happen? Maybe a 7% annualized rate of return with dividends. So you're looking at about a 40 to 50% increase with compounding right. of, your, of your assets. So if you have a million dollars, my guess is that by uh, 2022, uh, after about uh, five years, you're going to have uh, you know 1.5, 1.6 million. Effectively, not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. But during that time period, you're going to have corrections, collapses, uh, market market uh, turmoil, and uh, you're going to continue to see the gains accrue on a very, very uh, small basis, and the losses occur uh, very, very largely. So you have a right. small, small gain, very, very large loss. You have to be prepared for that. You can't right. invest now expecting you know. Uh, super double digit returns in the market. I think you can ex invest now though and expect over a long period of time, a six to 9% annualized rate of return for the US equity market. That's not bad at and all. It's not bad at all if you can stay invested and let that compound. Right. Because after a 10 year period, you would be doubling your money effectively. Let me ask you this, uh, about a month ago, we had John Blank on this program. Yes. And he was saying from fair value with a positive outlook to the stock market, we were still probably seven or seven to 8% bid up past that meaning you could expect a correction of 7 to 8% and still have a positive outlook in the 2017 market. Would you be on, on, on now it's probably shifted right. a little bit over the past month, but would you be on, in line with that general sentiment? The market is very good at discounting what it expects to have happen. So that right now, I don't see the market as being very expensive. It's a little bit higher than where it's been historically, but interest rates are incredibly low. Mm -hmm. uh, what was missed by many market prognosticators, uh, for lack of a better word, is that with the Trump victory, it coincided with the reignition of uh, earnings activity of U.S. equities. Okay. So you're starting to see better earnings numbers occur. At the same time, you're starting to see the general economy recover. It's almost like the Trump administration is going to benefit from all the action that occurred prior to it. Right. And you're gonna to start to feel that uh, this year. Historically, the first year of a, the first two years of a presidential term are a little bit weaker mm -hmm. than the last two years uh, because the administration tries to get all the stimulus packages uh, back end loaded. So they begin to hit the economy right when the election sure. for the next uh, term starts to uh, materialize. Uh, but I, I, you do see sort of where I'm used to markets ending is in a euphoric phase where there's just massive interest in U.S. equities, where our clients are calling us up saying, why are you have diversified portfolios right. uh, instead of buying this one or two uh, companies that are up 100%? Right. And uh, we're not quite there, but we're much farther towards that than we were when we were talking in June, July, and August of last year. Let's talk about that in the, in the final segment. We're okay. going to take a short break here on The Study Investor and be back to talk with Mitch Zacks about that very thing and the 2016 year in re review and predictions for 2017. Please stay with us.
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zach's, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zach's focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan, give us a call at 1-800-918-3114 or to learn more, go to info at zax.com. Again, that number is 1-800-918-3114 or go to info at zax.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zax.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back for the third segment of The Steady Investor. Um, on the uh, voiceamerica.com's business channel. We're sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. This is Mark Vickery with Mitch Zacks, Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zacks Investment Management. For more information about how to best invest your assets for retirement, call Zacks Investment Management right here in Chicago at 800-918-3114, where you can discuss at length your risk levels and investment strategies that are best suited for you and your family. For more information, you can email us at info at zimwealth.com or visit our website, zimwealth.com. Also, um, I believe John Blank's going to come out. Uh, Mitch, you can correct me on this if you know uh, better. But once the BLS report comes out, and that's yeah. tomorrow morning, um, the free stock market out or, the, or the, the stock market outlook from John Blank will be released shortly thereafter. And we can offer that free to uh, people who call into the show to, to the same number, 800-918-3114. Very comprehensive uh, understanding of what's going on in the market and what's to come in 2017. Um, so I would definitely highly advise uh, people who are listening to the show uh, to call in and, and get that free report. Yeah, it's an institutional quality research report that's available uh, for people who are listening to the podcast. So you definitely should call in and try and get a copy if you, if you do not have one online or if you're not being distributed. That's right. That's right. So let's get to the Mitch on the Market segment. This is a weekly article okay. that's written. Um, the 2016 uh, Year in Review and Predictions for 2017. So, uh, by the way, uh, good news. You, uh, last year at this time, yes. you had correctly predicted, even though we saw an 11% sell-off in the market, that uh, the stocks in 2016 would perform better than they did in 2015. Right. Uh, um, 2015 wasn't a very good year. 2015, uh, the, it was, S&P was up about 1.4, 1.5%. Yeah. So maybe not a lot to expect. Right. But, but definitely, considering, considering how much of a sell-off there was, uh, uh, in the beginning part of last year, with the fears with China and the devaluation and, and what they were doing with their markets, um, we did see it. We saw that the nice comeback. I think the key is to think about that sell-off. So we, in January of 2016, we had an 11% sell-off in the market. People were uh, going crazy saying uh, China's going to hit a soft landing, right. collapse of China, uh, they're building um, 
you know, roads to nowhere in the middle of China, mm -hmm. their massive infrastructure spending that's not doing anything. And what happened, the market ended up, uh, you know, very nicely in 2016. And I think that you have to put yourself back in the end of January 2016 and think the market's just gone down 10 percent. Headlines are blaring China sell off imminent. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Well, a rational person would say it's time to reduce your equity exposure. Right. And what you learn over time from doing this is that you have to ignore the emotional pull to react to price movements. Right. And so when the market goes down 10%, you have to remind yourself that the market is best modeled as an independent event that appreciates at a 7 to 9% annual rate of return with about a 15 to 16% standard deviation. That's what it is. Right. It, that's what it was in January of 2016. That's what it is in January of 2017. So the same way that in January of 2016, we tried not to change our asset allocation in response to dramatic pullback of the market, we want to do the same thing in January 2017. And the market's gone up since the, the Trump election. We don't want to now either overweight the market or underweight the market. We want to try and keep the asset allocation consistent with the risk level over long periods of time. Right. So what we're trying to do is ignore price fluctuations because the price fluctuation has no predictive ability of what the market is going to do in the um, immediate future or even in the long-term future. So you, you cannot say there was all sorts of research and, and almanacs and whatnot. The market starts off January. It's going to be a poor year. That's not exactly not. These things are uh, they're correlations that have existed. There's no causal relationship. You can uh, sort the data hundreds of ways and you think, well, if this happens on this day, it's going to happen. This reality is that there is very little predictive ability of the market in future periods from its performance in previous periods. Right. The fact that the market went up in 2016 tells us absolutely nothing about what's going to happen in 2017. Really? The fact the market went down and uh, that was flat in 2015 tells us absolutely nothing about what's going to happen in 2016. If I plot on the x-axis the return of the market last year, I plot on the y-axis the return of the market this year, I have the scatter plot of all these points. Right. It's a blob. There's no statistical relationship between the returns last year and the returns in the next year. So what does that mean? That means you that looking at the returns and feeling good that the market went up should not influence your decision making or looking at the returns and feeling upset or, or disturbed that the market went down should not influence your decision making. Your decision making has to be independent of market movements. And over long periods of time, the correct decision is very, very clearly to stay invested in the market. That issue with the CAPE ratio and the CAPE ratio saying the market's massively overvalued, that started to get play. Uh, you know, a, a colleague of mine, someone I knew, writes in the New York Times, he would be talking about Schiller's CAPE ratio. Everyone was educated at Yale. Everyone, you know, reads his research reports. Uh, and he, in about 2010, 2011 was when you started to see the massive push uh, in the media towards effectively saying the market is incredibly overvalued. And then fast forward into 2016, and there might have been a mistake in the way that they were calculating 
the earnings because they changed uh, whether they can uh, essentially, uh, whether they have to expense various things or whether they can capitalize various expenses okay. so that you, you take an R&D expense and you can capitalize it over long periods of time or do you have to expense it when it occurs? They change the accounting procedures. All right. So it's not a comparable measurement. Regardless of that, your market timing models, and we use uh, some of these and some of the strategies that we implement, have weak ability to predict which way the market is going. And what you want to do as an investor is to try and stay invested which as much in U.S. equities as you possibly can maintain, given the psychological uh, your your psychological ability to deal with uh, volatility. Right. So you need fixed income to the extent that you can stop from being shaken out of the market, mm-hmm. but you want to have uh, as much investment in equity as you possibly can get. In the equities, would you be diversified within different industries, even ones that haven't necessarily performed all that well lately? The firm has been doing extremely well. Uh, our money management firm, in terms of growth by making sure that our risk exposure is very much in keeping with benchmarks. Okay. The market is becoming more efficient over time, and so it's becoming harder to identify uh, sectors that are mispriced. So you have more assets coming into the market, you have fewer stocks, the stocks are getting larger in capitalization, mm-hmm. information technology is getting stronger, there's millions of people coming to our website to get our research, you can get other people's research as well. Uh, so the distribution of information is becoming easier. There's more money chasing fewer stocks. The stocks are larger cap in nature. All of this points towards uh, effectively a slightly more efficient uh, market over time. So you want to have that market efficiency work for you as opposed to against you. And you want to make sure your sector exposure is at least in line with the benchmark you're looking to outperform. Now, some of our strategies, we most of our strategies, we use optimization techniques to make sure our exposure is in line with the benchmark. Some of our strategies, we take a little bit more risk uh, by looking for a large diversification of uh, positions and not focusing on the uh, sector exposure, essentially. And that's taken on an on a, uh, individual basis. It's taken on an individual basis, but for the most part, you want to make sure your sector exposure, your capitalization exposure is about in line with the benchmark. Right. By focusing on those that risk, we've been able to outperform most other a- active asset managers over long periods of time. And the reason is the uh, traditional active manager who's stock picking 10, quote, undervalued stocks, 20 years ago, those stocks were undervalued. Now they're not because of the efficiency of the market. And what you're left with are these anomalies that persist over time where you have a bias towards stocks that have more attractive valuations. You have a bias towards stocks that are receiving upward earnings estimate revisions. You have a bias towards stocks uh, that conceivably have a a less than uh, average chance of running into distress in terms of being able to make debt payments. And these uh, biases uh, over time will generate excess returns so if you can be tilted towards that bias, but keep your exposure in line with your benchmark over long periods of time, you'll be able to generate excess returns. And that's how we've been able to dramatically grow the firm. That's excellent advice to have as well. Um, what the few minutes that we've got remaining, I wanted to talk uh, about a couple of predictions that we have here in the Mitch okay. on the Market section. Um, uh, the one quote I'll say is, uh, I'd say the global economy should grow around 3% on the year. Would you like to extrapolate uh, on that? It might be a little bit low. Uh, I don't see a recession in the cards. I 
there's an old study that looks at what happens when the Fed begins tightening to the U.S. equity markets. Statistically, and again, this has to be taken with the grain of salt that I talk about in terms of market prediction models, uh, when the Fed begins tightening, they're, they're not doing it in a vacuum. They're tightening because they're seeing the economy pick up. Right. As the economy picks up, revenue, more goods change hands, revenue increases, earnings increase. Uh, the fact the Fed is tightening, I don't think, uh, if anything, I think they probably waited too long as opposed to jump the gun and tighten too early. And you're going to see, uh, my guess is, higher inflation as opposed to lower inflation. Uh, so you're likely going to see uh, the U.S. economy and the global economy uh, pick up dramatically over the next year effectively. Okay. Do you have a prediction on how many times the Fed will raise rates this year? I don't think it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be more than one, uh, but I'm not going to go much more higher than that. Okay. So I think that they're going to continue to raise rates, uh, but I don't expect it to be a dramatic uh, rate increase over time. There are some now real political pressures on the Federal Reserve that if the Federal Reserve now upsets the incoming administration, their life can become much more difficult. So you have this uh, wing of the new administration that's like, let's open up the Fed, let's uh, start auditing what they're doing, mm -hmm. let's look at their balance sheet, let's look at their decision-making process, and you have this other group that's saying, no, you want the Fed to really be independent of political pressures, and the mm -hmm. reason is uh, that's how banana republics operate. The Federal Reserve's there, just print money when the administration says we need more money to build a bridge. We'll just print it, print it, print it, and they have runaway inflation. Not exactly uh, checks and balances. And, and not checks and balances, but if you're, think of the Fed not as a person, think of the Fed not as a group of people, but as an individual who's trying to maximize their sort of ability to stay relevant in the economy. They do not want to pick a fight with the administration. Uh, so there's a chance they may be a little bit looser uh, than they would normally uh, so as not to upset the administration. What upsets the administration is if they start raising rates very dramatically and uh, cut off the growth before it starts to materialize. Okay. So what do you see the headwinds with this new uh, economic growth that we expect to pick up in the U.S.? It's, it's the euphoria that could occur in the U.S. equity markets. Okay. So it's, it's, the, it's essentially, like I said, I've been doing this for many years, and what is a warning sign to me is when sort of individuals who are using our research uh, start contacting me and saying, you know, you should be purchasing this stock and that stock is going up dramatically. The reason is a couple of reasons. It means a lot of people are using our research, which is good, uh, but usually occurs when markets are doing well. They, uh, the people are so excited about the stocks, they want to try and track me down at the organization to contact me, which means they, they, you know, they really are into their stock picking. And again, it's showing that, okay, uh, this is easy. It's an easy game to play. And it's, it's not an easy game to play. You have to remain diversified over long periods of time. I'm not seeing that quite yet, okay. but we're on the verge of moving into that territory. And once you move into that territory, it can persist for multiple quarters. Uh, but that's the uh, seventh inning of the nine inning game. Got it. We're in the sixth inning right now. We're moving towards the seventh. And what propels us into the ninth inning is the euphoric phase. But in the euphoric phase, it then starts to become, there's okay. a new paradigm shift in the U.S. Mitch, I'm going to have to cut okay, you off so right, we can so end this. It feels like a good time to invest. That's the big warning sign. It, right? It, it, right. Uh, it doesn't quite feel like a great time for people to invest yet. People are still a little bit nervous about the market, which is a good sign for us going forward. Thank you for sticking with us and the Steady Investor. We'll see you next week.
Thank you for tuning in this week. Be sure to join Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery for another edition of The Steady Investor next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you haven't started your retirement plan yet, what are you waiting for? 